This is Undisciplined. I'm Ellis Julin. If you were to go south from Canada to the Rocky Mountains, looking at wolves, you would generally find more and more black wolves the further south you went. In fact, in Yellowstone National Park, there's about a 50-50 split between black wolves and gray wolves. They're all the same species of wolf, but their coats can vary in color. And for years, researchers have wondered what might be the cause of this difference. Why do we see more black wolves as we move further south? Well, now we have an answer. Dr. Sarah Kubain and her co-authors on a recent paper discovered a genetic link between coat color in wolves and resistance to an often deadly upper respiratory disease called canine distemper virus. And outbreaks of that disease are actually more common as you move south, just like the proportion of black-coated wolves. By analyzing decades of data collected from the Yellowstone Wolf Project, Dr. Kubain found that wolves with distemper antibodies were more likely to be black than gray. And in areas like Yellowstone, where outbreaks of the virus are more common, black wolves are also more common. Today on Undisciplined, I'm talking with Dr. Kubain about how she was able to discover this connection between wolves that have black coats and the ability to be better able to survive canine distemper virus. And we'll also talk about how this work fits into broader ecological conversations about the role that diseases can play in animal behavior. Dr. Sarah Kubine is a population ecologist at the Center for Functional and Evolutionary Ecology in France. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for inviting me. So first off, I thought we could talk a little bit about canine distemper virus, or CDV, as, as we'll probably be referring to it. Can you just kind of describe what it is and um, what we know about it in wolf populations as far as when it kind of came into wolf populations? It's a very common pathogen in carnivores in general and in wolves in Yellowstone especially. There has been several uh, outbreaks in the Yellowstone wolf population and it's a virus that is very contagious. So it's a bit like COVID. It's very hard for the wolves to isolate themselves if one of them get it. So when the, the outbreak, when one outbreak strike in the park, it's like 80% to 100% of the wolves get it. And the symptoms are um, can be it can first attack the respiratory system and then also the gastrointestinal and nervous system. Some wolves can die because of it, because like especially the young wolves, and some other wolves can have long-lasting symptoms like nervous system damage. Okay, is this the same distemper virus that you get like your dog vaccinated against? Exactly, yeah. And it first originated, well, like a study said that it first originated from a missile epidemics that decimated the South American population 1,500 years ago when the European colons came in. And then it, it mutated and it spread through the dog population and then was transmitted to the wolves. Oh, interesting. So... Kind of moving on to the, the matter of, of black-coated gray wolves. Gray wolves can, can have black coats or gray coats and, and I think white too, but it's pretty rare. Um, so gray is the more common coat color that we see. Can you talk a little bit about why that is? The gray coat color is the most common in most populations around the, the world. But in some populations across the North American continent, and especially in Yellowstone, there's there are many black wolves. So gray is the 
uh, ancestral version of the gene. And then at some point in history, this gene had a mutation, which uh, gave the black coloration. So it's just a deletion of three little base pairs of DNA. And then uh, it's a gene that we call the K-locus. And if you have the mutation on this gene, then the code coloration is black. Okay, very cool. Um, so in in the abstract of, of this paper, you say that the, the kind of gradation and frequency of black-coated wolves across North America is hypothesized to result from some sort of a relationship with canine distemper virus outbreaks. And I was thinking about this kind of preparing for this interview. And if you handed me a map of wolf populations in North America, and I could see where there's higher proportions of black wolves versus gray wolves or, or similar proportions. And then I was to sit and think about why those differences might exist. I don't think that any sort of, of viral outbreak would be the first or, or even the 10th explanation that I would come up with. So I'm just so curious how you came about connecting these black coats and, and distemper virus as, um, as kind of linked in this paper. So yeah, it's a very interesting question that scientists have tried to understand these coloration patterns across populations for a long time. So one reason could be that the black wolves can hide better in forested areas so that you would observe a higher frequency of them in in the south compared to the north when it's more open areas. But the, the, the wolves, they don't hide to hunt. That's the first thing. They're cursorial predators, so they run after the prey. Plus, when we look into details in the, the fitness, so the survival and the reproductive ability of the wolves that have black coloration, we see something that is very interesting, is that the, the wolves that have two mutated alleles for black coloration, so black from their father and black for the, from their mother, they are called the black homozygotes, then these individuals, they have very low fitness. So they don't survive very well, they don't reproduce very well, and there are very few of them in the population, although they also have a black coloration. But by contrast, the black heterozygote that have one gray allele and one black allele from each of their parents, these black wolves, they have a high survival and uh, reproduction, especially when they're exposed to the pathogen. So it's not just a question of coloration of the fur, but also on the gene that control for the coloration. So that's why we first started to think, I mean, we, the scientists, have started to think maybe there's something to do with the genes that code for coloration. And then reading the, the literature, I found that in many species of birds, reptiles, um, other mammals, coloration, genes that uh, control coloration are, can also be implicated in the immune function and also in the mate choice strategy. So how individuals choose the partners with who they, they reproduce. So that's what uh, first uh, got my interest. And when I was working as a postdoc with the Yellowstone wolf population and with um, my colleagues at uh, Oxford University, 
I was trying to analyze wolf survival and take into account all the different factors that can influence the survival. And I also introduced code colorations because the amazing data they have in Yellowstone about the wolves uh, was allowing me to take into account the genotype for the coloration gene. And looking at this data, then we found that uh, black heterozygote, so black wolves with the two versions of the genes, were having a much higher survival than the gray wolves when they were exposed to the CDV, to the disease. Hey there, this is Matthew LaPlante. I'm the founding producer of Undisciplined and still occasionally get to guest host the program. But a big part of my job these days is just making sure we have the funding we need to support our new host and our amazing producer. We get a big part of that funding from the College of Humanities and Social Sciences at Utah State University. And I think that's pretty cool. Mostly on this program, we talk about physical and life sciences, but our support comes from a college that focuses on the social and cultural aspects of human society. And that's because the leaders of the College of Humanities and Social Sciences recognize the interconnectedness of these different areas of study and the importance of making science accessible. If that's something you believe in too, I'd like to encourage you to join me in supporting this program on Utah Public Radio. Giving is easy. Just go to upr.org and click on the donate button. Can you talk a little bit more about how Yellowstone in particular and the population of wolves in Yellowstone really fits in as kind of this key piece of the puzzle, um, particularly regarding CDV outbreaks? Yeah, so the Yellowstone population is very a key element here because first, it's a very unique opportunity, a very unique population of wolves for which we have so many detailed data at the individual level. So we know the history of so many wolves, like several hundred of wolves, when they were born, who were their parents, what was the population density at the time, uh, where were there a lot of uh, competition with other packs? When were they exposed to the disease? When did they reproduce? How many pups did they have? So that's very rare opportunity to have such a very complete data set. And Yellowstone is very unique in this regard. And that's um, from the, this opportunity of having this very detailed data set on the demography, the genes, for coloration and epidemiology of the wolves, that we first found that there was a difference in survival rate and in uh, reproductive uh, and infertility between the black and the gray wolves. And that was the main uh, result in our study, the main signal for us that there was a, an effect of uh, exposure to the disease on the, on the fitness of the wolves. So then we wanted to collect more data in other populations to look if we would find the same pattern. So my colleagues, uh, Hélène, Brandel, and other co-authors of this paper, they collected data in 
many other wolf populations across North America, and we found the same pattern, which the results of this analysis showed that the, there was a higher probability among the wolves exposed to CDB to be black, and a higher proportion of black wolves that was associated with higher prevalence of the disease. But none of this population had so much detailed data uh, compared to the Yellowstone population. So it was very um, a key element in this study. It really drove the, 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 our, our ideas and it's really what drove us to analyze this, uh, to compare with different populations, to, to straighten our conclusions. Yeah, I know those that the wolves in Yellowstone have been so extensively studied and it's so exciting when you hear about these kinds of other things that come out of having a data set as large as that. Like, it sounds to me like, you know, a lot of this study probably wouldn't, you wouldn't have been able to get the kinds of answers that you did without a data set as extensive as the one for Yellowstone wolves. Is that correct? Oh, it's exactly that. I mean, without this data, we would have never been able to, to get these conclusions. I mean, that's probably one of the reasons why we learned so much about wolves thanks to the Yellowstone Wolf Project. They are collecting amazing data over several decades about the wolves, their environment. And it's an incredible value for science. Yeah, absolutely. Um you kind of mentioned this before when we were talking about the kind of overview of, of CDV and um, how it kind of exists in all of these different predator populations. How does the, the kind of breakdown of um, carnivore communities in Yellowstone in particular contribute to CDV outbreaks? So CDV cannot only persist in a single population, in a single species, so there is an outbreak in the wolf population, then all the individuals, mostly, like, yeah, when all the individuals are exposed, then the virus would die, would disappear. So it needs to, to persist. It needs to be uh, hosted in other species of carnivores that we call reservoir populations. So the type, the, the species that can also uh, contract the, vir the virus are, for example, the skunks, foxes, coyotes, raccoons. So we think that in areas, and, and also domestic dogs, so we think that in areas where the carnivore community is more complex, with several species of carnivores, then we expect that the frequency of the outbreaks are more common. Okay. So another kind of component where Yellowstone, you, not unique to Yellowstone, but, but somewhat kind of specific to Yellowstone with that really intact ecosystem. Yeah, it's probably explained because the, the carnivore community in Yellowstone is very rich with several species. It also probably explains why we observe relatively frequent outbreaks in Yellowstone, because there are so many species for which the, that can be reservoir for the pathogen. And in those other species, does the, does the pathogen wipe out as much of the population as it does when you have outbreaks in wolves? It depends on the species. In some species, uh, the canine distemper virus has 
caused extinction or quasi-extinction, like the black-footed ferret. At the moment, it's a big threat for the Amur tigers because they're already a small population and there is a high mortality, so it's, it's scary for this population. So the wolves are actually not doing so bad compared to other species. That's so interesting. Um, what I'm sure there was a lot in this work that really surprised you, but what would you say, like, was there anything that really stood out or that was really unexpected for you in, in analyzing this data and, and coming to these conclusions? What was really striking for me is to be able to link what would happen in coloration with mate choice, because we found that because black wolves resist better than gray wolves to, to this disease, the best strategy for the wolf is to reproduce with a wolf of a different color. So gray wolves prefer to mate with black wolves and black wolves prefer to mate with gray wolves. That's what our demographic model predicted. And if we look at the data on the field and the genetic data, it seems to confirm that it's what's happening in the Yellowstone population. And so analyzing data on the walls, because it was such a rich data set with epidemiological data, morphological data, genetic, pedigree, demography, then we're able to link coloration with mate choice and demography, which was really exciting from a scientist's point of view. And I think it can have many implications because it seems to be a pattern that could also happen in other species. So it really opens new areas of research that are very exciting. I'd love to dive into some of those kinds of um, other areas of research or the broader context of these findings. How do you think that that what you found here um, can be applied or, or is, go, is applied um, in other ecosystems, other species, other contexts? Can you just kind of speculate or elaborate on that? For example, in some birds, we observe that in some areas there are a certain color coloration and in other areas there are others. Maybe what we found with the wolves could also be a guide to better understand what's happening in other species or also in, uh, in species where we know that mating is not random the individuals will choose to mate preferentially with other individuals with of a different color or with specific ornaments. Maybe looking at the disease resistance is also a beginning of answer, could also bring some answer. So, and more generally, it means that when we are trying to understand the demography of one species, it's also very interesting to to link it with different fields of research, with epidemiology and with demography, because what we've seen here is that it all interplay. There is an interplay between demography, um, disease resistance, and partner choice of uh, reproductive partner. So it's very interesting to mix with this, these different areas of research to to fully understand the pattern that we can observe in nature. For example, in humans, there is the sickle cell disease. 
uh, we know, for example, that people that possess one modified ver version of the beta globulin gene can be resistant to malaria, but people that possess both copies of, of the gene have a higher mortality risk. And this uh, mut mutated allele has persisted in some populations and is expected to be is lost from the population in absence of malaria. So we think that that would be an example of a rather similar process than what we studied in the wolf. And it could also be used to better understand um, the, oh, I can't find the name in English, a disease that is uh, threatening many of amphibian populations. Oh, is it chytrid? Oh. Yeah, exactly. Chytrid fungus, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for example, the chytrid fungus that is uh, threatening many amphibian populations. There is also a cost and an advantage of uh, resistance in, in many amphibian species. And maybe it would be interesting to look at the evolutionary implications also of this disease in amphibians. Yeah, it's so interesting to think about the interplay of, of mate choice and resistance to to disease or a response to pathogens. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it means that a, a virus can also try, can also have consequences on uh, very, very various mechanisms happening in the host. So it would affect how a host would choose uh, its mating partner to maximize its chances to survive the, the pathogen. So that's kind of unexpected effects of disease on, on organisms. So in the, in the populations of wolves where you have less frequent outbreaks of, of CDV and you have lower proportions of, of black wolves, do you still see the same mate preference for where gray wolves are, are choosing to mate with black wolves and black wolves are choosing to mate with gray wolves? Or, or is it less so when they, you don't have the pressure of the disease outbreak? That's an excellent question, but unfortunately, we don't have the Yellowstone data in other populations. So it's very hard to have this kind of data of how wolves choose each other and with who they mate. What we know is that in some populations, we observe packs with a mix of black and gray wolves. So they do mate together, but we don't know if there is a preferential choice for one coloration. It's just the incredible Yellowstone data that allowed us to look at that in one population. But what our analysis predict is that um, wolves should mate with a partner of a different color in all areas where canine distemper virus is present at least about one outbreak every 10 years. But in areas where canine distemper virus is absent, we would expect, based on our results, that uh, there should not be um, a, a mate choice based on coloration. So the wolves should just breed on randomly, or at least not choosing based on the partner coloration. Okay. So what is next for this research or, or for, for you and, and your research? Where do you go from here? What I would really like to know now, it's what exactly is happening at the genetic level, because our study concludes somehow that 
there should be some genetic mechanisms linking immunity with coloration and with mate choice, but we don't know exactly which genes are implicated. So I'd like to keep investigating that question and find out exactly what is happening at the genetic level. Very cool. I look forward to seeing what you find from that. Thank you. Yes, I hope it's going to be as exciting as this. <laughs> yeah, no, oh, absolutely. It's it's so the best part about science is unraveling these sorts of mysteries and thinking about things in a way we never would have. So it's just so fun to talk to people doing this sort of work. Yeah, it's it's very exciting. I agree on that. That was Dr. Sarah Kubine. She's a population ecologist at the Center for Functional and Evolutionary Ecology in France, and her latest study was recently published in Science. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you very much, Alice. Undisciplined is a production of Utah Public Radio with support from the College of Humanities and Social Sciences at Utah State University. And if you happen to live in Utah, you can listen to us every Thursday at 10.30 a.m. on UPR. If you miss us then, you can listen to every episode of Undisciplined wherever you get your podcasts. Our producer is Claire Scott. Our theme music is Little Idea by Benjamin Tussaud. And I'm Ellis Julin. Thanks for listening. Now go have big ideas. Big ideas.